Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the 303rd edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and Voice America Business Channel. We are broadcasting right across the world from our studio on Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles, California. And this is the spot where technology meets entertainment. Today, we've got a very health-driven program, which highlights some of the remarkable advances that are taking place seemingly almost daily in medical-related areas. The first development concerns a new miracle cure for leukemia. Here we go. I've got to pronounce a couple of these words. Acute lymphoblastic leukemia. That's the most common cancer among young children, accounting for a quarter of all cancer cases in kids. And it has no cure. For about 85% of children, leukemia can, however, be effectively treated through chemotherapy. If it's not eliminated and it comes back, it's more often than not fatal. Now, rounds of chemotherapy can buy patients time, but as the disease progresses, the periods of remission get shorter and shorter. Now, the patient could receive a bone marrow transplant, but only about half of these procedures are successful, and there's a chance that they will reject the donor cells. And if that does happen, then chances of surviving are very small. But there's now a radical new option, using gening therapy to train a patient's immune system to recognize and destroy their cancer in the same way that it dispatches bacteria and viruses. The strategy is the latest development in immunotherapy Jeez, I'd never become a doctor, would I? A revolutionary approach to cancer treatment that uses a series of precision strikes to disintegrate cancer from within the body itself. Now, what saves the patient is an infusion of their own immune cells that are genetically modified to destroy the patient's leukemia. With this therapy, 90% of patients go into remission. Such radical immune approaches were launched in 2011 with the success of intravenous drugs that loosen the brakes on the immune system so that it can see cancer cells and destroy them with the same vigour with which they attack viruses and bacteria. Now, though, with the genetically engineered immune cells known as chimeric antigen receptor, abbreviated CAR, that I can do much easier, T-cells, doctors are crippling cancer in more precise and targeted ways than surgery, chemotherapy and radiation ever could. While the first cancer immunotherapies (laughs) were broadly aimed at any cancer, experts are now repurposing the immune system into a personalised precision treatment that can not only recognise but also eliminate the cancer cells unique to each individual patient. 
Now, what makes immune-based therapies like CAR T cell therapy so promising and so powerful is that they are a living drug churned out by the patients themselves. The treatment isn't a pill or a liquid that has to be taken regularly, but a one-hit wonder that when given a single time, trains the body to keep on treating, ideally for a lifetime. Now, this ter- therapy is utterly transformative for this kind of leukemia and also lymphoma. Eager to bring this groundbreaking option to more patients, including those with other types of cancers, an advisory panel for the Food and Drug Administration voted unanimously last month to move the therapy beyond the testing phase, during which several hundred people have been able to take advantage of it to become a standard therapy for children with certain leukemias if all other treatments have failed. Now, across the United States, doctors are racing to enrol people with other cancers, breast cancer, prostate cancer, pancreatic cancer, ovarian, sarcoma, and brain cancer, including the kind diagnosed in Senator John McCain in hundreds of trials to see if they will benefit from this novel approach. Well, that's pretty cool. Uh, Once everything else fails, this seems to give you a really good shot at making it. Our second story today concerns a new medical miracle that begins to heal you in less than a second. Just think about that, less than a second. A new device has been developed at the Ohio State University, which turns cells into other types of cells required for treating diseased conditions. During testing, one touch completely repaired injured legs of mice in over th- in just three weeks. The new device can start healing organs in a fraction of a second, researchers say. This technology, known as tissue nanotransfection, or TNT for short, has the potential to save the lives of car crash victims and even deployed soldiers injured in the field. It's a dime-sized silicon chip that injects genetic code into skin cells, turning those skin cells into other types of cells that are required for treating disease conditions. In lab tests, one touch of TNT completely repaired the injured legs of mice over three weeks by turning skin cells into vascular cells. For example, the technology restored brain function in a mouse who suffered a stroke by growing brain cells on its skin. Now, other scientists are already investigating ways of reprogramming cells to repair the body, but what makes this particular technique stand out is that it skips the usual intermediary step of creating pluripotent stem cells. These are cells that can then turn into any other cell type. In this case, the cells go straight from skin cells to the other variety of cell, all thanks to the targeted release of genes and an electrical pulse. Sounds amazing, doesn't it? The TNT technology is made up of two components, the nanotechnology-based chip that sits on the skin 
It's about the size of a cufflink. And if the biological cargo it contains to affect the tissue underneath, the chip gets zapped with a harmless electrical charge to release the cargo into the cell membranes and the chip can then be removed. According to the researchers, it all takes less than a second. The process is non-invasive and because the reprogrammed cells are already in the patient's body, immune suppression is not required to make sure the new tissue is accepted. Wow, this is a real breakthrough technology because it's the first time cells have been reprogrammed in a live body. Current cell therapy methods are high risk, like those that introduce a virus, and include multiple steps. This is pointed out in an article published by Nature Nanotechnology. There are no known side effects of TNT, and as I mentioned a few seconds ago, the treatment is less than a second. More importantly, this technology does not require a laboratory or a hospital and can actually be executed in the field. It's less than 100 grams and will have a long shelf life. It's currently awaiting FDA approval, but is expected that TNT will be tested on humans within this year, likely at Walter Reed National Medical Centre. It's proposed the use of skin as an agricultural land where you can essentially grow any cell of interest. Wow, that's another really cool story that's going to change the way we treat people in the future. The third story concerns the boom in medical drones. Now, time's crucial in healing, no matter whether it's a natural disaster, a heart attack, a car accident, an organ transplant. And in future medical emergencies, where urgent response is necessary, drones will be the fastest answer. They'll fly the extra mile in delivering drugs, vaccines, blood or organs. Advanced versions of drones are everywhere on this planet. And it's estimated that last year, 9.4 million drones were sold worldwide. And the number this year is absolutely soaring. Excuse the pun. The use of drones in aerial photography or monitoring is its obvious, but internationally televised drone races have really taken off, and Amazon generated the biggest buzz by its announcement that it was delivering packages by drones. In 2014, a Minnesota brewery used a drone to fly beer to ice fishers out on a frozen lake. That's pretty cool. <laughs> but the US authorities stepped in due to safety concerns and violation of aviation codes. Something similar to this happened in China with cakes and pies when a bakery in Shanghai decided to fly the delicacies to their customers. But again, the local aviation authorities grounded the drones due to lack of permits and safety issues. But that was then, this is now, and regulators are finally catching up with drone technology, but there are many concerns still. The biggest issue is that drones or their packages could fall on people below. 
drones could also collide with aircraft. Drones capturing aerial footage of wildfires have actually hindered efforts by helicopter and aeroplane pilots to put out blazes. There are also concerns about use of drones to violate privacy and to do things like smuggle weapons or drugs into prisons. Now, drones have been used for quite a while to um, drop guns and drugs into prisons. You just fly them over the wall and drop. Bingo. (laughs) Nothing like the ingenuity of bent people. (laughs) Drones have a great potential to make transport of drugs, vaccines or medical aids faster when time is crucial, such as during disasters or medical emergencies. Drones could also deliver automatic external defibrillators directly to people who have just suffered a heart attack. But drones might not only be useful when ambulances are out of reach due to bad road conditions, flooding or very remote areas, or when ambulances need urgent urgent access to contain to certain rare drugs or blood surprise. Drones successfully delivered aid packages after the Haitian earthquake in 2012 and that collected data and imagery where infrastructure was destroyed or lacking in the Philippines after Typhoon Haiyan in 2013 when all those lives were lost. Two disaster drones delivered telemed packages to victims and rescue personnel in a simulated mass casualty event at an airport recently in Mississippi. Johns Hopkins Bloomberg Bloomberg School of Public Health suggested that using drones might also improve vaccination rates in Madagascar with the support of the government and USAID drones, they were able to collect medical samples from remote villages in the country. Vip Zipline are delivering medical supplies to five of its hospitals, expanding to nearly half of the country's 45 hospitals. The drones will make up to 150 deliveries a day and reduce the previously four-hour-long delivery to just 15 minutes. The medical products are dropped off, landing gently and accurately at the health facility. Drones will also be used for the transportation of expensive and rarely used drugs, such as anti-venom for snake bites, Imagine you're out in the middle of the Angeles National Forest, you get bitten by a rattlesnake, you're on your own, what do you do? And it's going to take a while for somebody to find you, but a drone can go in, not only can it find you, but it can deliver the anti-venom. Pretty cool. Zipline delivers medicine and blood to rural parts of the US, including some Native American reservations. Now, safety, accuracy and speed is critical in healthcare since, you know, there are lives at stake. And these unmanned vehicles are great examples how a technology from another industry 
could facilitate providing care, especially in emergency and underdeveloped regions. Do you receive my daily newsletter? Every day I put out a newsletter. We try to make it a 30-second read. Sometimes it's a bit longer than that, but it's always very short. It talks about all the new developments in technology, medical technology, in apps, in um, um, cryptocurrency. We talk about Bitcoin and Ethereum. We talk about um, all sorts of new advances. We talk about successful entrepreneurs, what they did, the challenges that they faced, how they overcame them, and what it was that ultimately made them successful. So every day, a three-minute read will keep you right up to date with all the technology. We talk about Hyperloop. We talk about the great boring company who incidentally are combining to put the tunnel for the new Hyperloop from Washington, D.C. to New York, which will be fantastic. So instead of driving or catching the train or doing whatever that takes a couple of hours, you'll be able to get from Washington to New York in just a few minutes on the Hyperloop. Now, my guest today is Mike Southern from the UK. He's a serially successful entrepreneur. He's a really good guy. He's a mentor. He's a best-selling author. He's a financial mail columnist in the Mail on Sunday in England. And he's the co-author of several best-selling business books, which are terrific read, including The Beer Mat Entrepreneur and Sales on a Beer Mat. Makes you think that he might spend a few minutes of his day in a pub, doesn't it? I'll be back in a minute or so with Mike Southern. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. This is the show for entrepreneurs. And it's the segment of the show where we interview people who have really made their mark on the world. You know, people that have done something really special and achieved great success and particularly speaking to people who have something to do with entrepreneurs 
My guest today is Mike Southern, a successful serial entrepreneur, a business mentor, a best-selling author, and a financial mail columnist in the Mail on Sunday in the United Kingdom. Now, what's pretty impressive is that Mike built and sold his own company in the 80s and worked with 17 different startups in the 90s. Now, two of these companies later went public, three went broke, but that means that 12 others were successful. And, you know, we talk on the show often about uh, how hard it is to get um, startups up, and Mike's got a very impressive record. He's a co-author of several best-selling business books, including The Beer Mat Entrepreneur and Sales on a Beer Mat. I guess Mike likes a drink. He's also a very experienced entrepreneur mentor, having provided face-to-face mentoring from over 1,000 business executives in the last 10 years. Now, on this program, I'm always urging successful people to get out there and support and invest in entrepreneurs because not only is it enormously rewarding personally, it's very rewarding financially if you help these companies become successful. Now, Mike's living proof of this. is the ambassador for the Federation of Small Business and Entrepreneurs in Residence for the City of Liverpool in the UK. He's also one of the most experienced business speaker in the world, speaking at a hundred events every year, obviously taking some of my work. And Mike focuses on explaining how to be enterprising, whether you're starting a new business or whether you work in a large organisation. Hi, Mike. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Good morning, Bob. How are you? I'm extremely well, extremely well. I had a quiet night last night, I'm pleased to say, so... uh hangover free this morning I'm pleased oh, to good good <laughs> how did you get started as an entrepreneur is that where you started or did you start with a big company yeah, well we kind of started in the pub uh, you know I'm known as the beer mat <laughs> entrepreneur or, or as Australians or Americans might call it the coaster entrepreneur yeah. no it was, it was kind of a fluke I was in a pub in my university town with a couple of friends that I'd been to the Edinburgh Fringe with and at the time I was selling scaffolding rather unsuccessfully and they said now nah, you've got to get a job in London with these guys because we're freelancing for them because my friends were experts in the Unix operating system when it was quite rare back in the right. 80s and they were computer science lecturers and they used to uh, swan down to London and give courses and I, so I got a job with the company giving the courses then the three of us sat down again in the pub and we decided let's start a company for ourselves so we started in 84 a company called the Instruction Set which grew to 150 people in five years now at wow. the time I thought this was down to my fantastic selling skills I've since <laughs> learned kind of the hard way that it was uh, due to being at the right place at the right time but anyway we had a very successful company which we sold in the 80s and then, then we went off and played in a for a while full time it's great fun and then yeah. I went back to the, the startups you mentioned with very mixed success I have to say uh, you know some went public some went broke some still, still carry on it's uh you know, it was a big learning experience in the 90s working with unsuccessful companies especially. And then, as you said, I've done a lot of mentoring in the last 10 years. And you're absolutely right. I've learned probably more about entrepreneurship and mentoring people than I have out of anything else. That's why it's been so absolutely rewarding. Yeah, it, it is rewarding. Well, you know, it's very difficult. I, I often sprout numbers on this show that um, mm. out of every 3,700 patents, only one becomes commercially successful. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's tough. And, and, and the biggest, I would say the biggest element for success for any entrepreneur is their ability to find 
and hang on to experienced mentors, plural, because you can get mentors Absolutely. in all kinds of different areas. I agree. Um, so finding them and hanging on to them. And another definition that mentoring should always be free. I mean, you can pay for advice. Oh, I course, agree with that too. That, that, that's, a, that's a consultant, and you can measure that. And if you don't feel you're getting value for money, you can ask for your money back, or you can buy more, or whatever. Yep. But mentoring should be something that people like you or I do, you know, because you've got a bit of spare time. We've had a good week speaking, for example. That's, that's my situation. I think your situation as well. You've got a spare hour. You're willing to have a coffee or a beer with somebody and just give them some really basic advice. And, it, it, and the advice... Sometimes it's how to do stuff, sometimes it's who to speak to, and uh, very occasionally it's the, the old moral compass, you know, the difference between right and wrong in business and how to be ethical and that kind of stuff. So it's, it's absolutely fascinating, and I'm sure you do the same. People yeah. from, you know, a bunch of kids with loads of good ideas to really quite experienced people going through quite a traumatic time thinking, should I sell my company? That's yeah. the top end, and that's, that's, of course, very rewarding as well. Yeah, well, I've saw some statistics not long ago that said that 72% of companies um, that fail, startups that mm -hmm. fail, don't fail because they haven't got a bloody good idea. They fail because they don't have the experience in business to run a company. Because it's one thing to have a great idea, it's something mm -hmm. else to run a successful company. And Absolutely. so people like you and I that have done it um, can give them advice that they really can't you know, it's not intuitive to them, and they can't, um, it, unless you go out and you read a hundred books of mine, um, then yeah, <laughs> you can't, um, you know, it's hard to pick up how to be a good businessman. Absolutely right, and we said at the beginning of our book, The Bear Man Entrepreneur, I mean, ten years ago, we said that business is simple. Not that it isn't long hours and hard work sometimes, but it is simple things done well, and very much when you're mentoring, I'm sure you find this, yeah. it's just keeping them focused on the core stuff, keep it simple, do the basics, don't try to do too much too quickly and treat your customers well all, all really basic stuff which people just need to be around. all of us need reminding I'm sure you and I need reminding now yeah, and then as well too. me too now many of the great ideas and designs and songs mm -hmm. have been scribbled on a napkin or a placemat or something I, I know that John Lennon um, song just sold recently for a million dollars or something and just ten words scribbled on a placemat so is, is that the thought behind your successful book, The Beer Mat Entrepreneur? Or how did that whole beer mat thing come about? Well, it was literally, we were in a pub writing on a beer mat, or as, as you call it, a coaster. And, and the key there, you're, you're right, it's a metaphor. It could be, you could be in a restaurant, you could be writing sure. on a napkin. But the key thing there is to get the idea done, but get the idea done quickly, and yeah. also simply. You don't write a whole business plan on a beer mat, obviously. Yeah. It's real simple stuff. And we, we say the three things <coughs> you, you should be putting on your beer mat is, first, your elevator pitch. I, I structure it a bit for them. What's Absolutely. the elevator pitch for your business? I'm sure you've yeah. been through this many times. Sure. Then, who's going to be your first mentor? Who's the first person you're going to... Let's call Bob Pritchard up and buy him a beer and ask him a question and, you know, get a bit of guidance. Maybe get him to introduce us to a few people. That's a, another good thing you can do. Absolutely. And then finally, who is going to be your first customer? Because I've met so many entrepreneurs who've got brilliant ideas, but they haven't really thought about who would buy this product or service. Because if you've got somebody who's willing to put their hand in the pocket, give you some money, even if it's a friend or a family friend or whatever, if they give you money for your product and you end up with a profit on the transaction, well, you're an entrepreneur. The rest is detail, frankly. And yeah, so many people fall at that hurdle. So there's, there's three things you ought to be thinking about. You know, how would you pitch your idea in 20 seconds in an elevator to somebody? Who's a good mentor to give you a bit of guidance? Some do it yourself. And then who's, who are you going to ask for money from? You know, yeah. really quickly. Yeah. Because I was, I was sitting here thinking... I can imagine that you're sitting in a pub, you've had a few beers, and you sit down yep. and you say, we're going to start a business, we're going to think of a name, and you mm -hmm. go for half an hour and a couple more beers, and you can't think of a name, so you say, bugger it, we'll call it the Beer Mad Entrepreneur. Absolutely. <laughs> 
Well, strange enough, that's how the, the book came about. Chris and I were going to call it, um, Chris West, Michael Wolf and I, we were going to call it something like From Acorns to Oaks, which is actually another very good book here in England. Yeah. And we were in a pub garden in Cambridge, a very good friend of ours, Bill Thompson, said, oh, that's a rubbish name. No. So what's happening in the book? We said, well, the guys go down the pub and they write on a beer mat. And Bill just said, why don't you call it The Beer Mat Entrepreneur? And Chris and I both looked at each other and thought, well, there's a million dollar comment. We've been trying to give him money ever since, but he's a lovely guy and he won't yeah, accept it. So the best ideas happen in the pub. I do say, um, you know, you write your ideas in the pub and then always look at the beer mat in the morning when you're sober, you know, because you <laughs> may cross off a few of the things you wrote down when you'd had yeah, a few. Most of them. Um, you, you've said that uh, you think the Beatles are the UK's most expen uh, expensive, successful entrepreneurs. Why is that? You're, well, you're obviously from Liverpool since you're so connected to Liverpool with the um, uh, mentoring. So, well, I'm actually not from Liverpool. Oh, I've kind of been okay. adopted by the city. Now, I've always been a huge Beatles fan. Yeah, me too. And, you know, I play in bands and this, that, and the other. Yeah. And then, you know, I, I hit the speaking circuit when our book came out about 10 years ago. And I was talking about, you know, my experiences and beer mats and pubs and so on. And then I was out in the Far East with a good friend of mine, Roger Hamilton, and I had like 10 minutes to do at the end of a conference. I thought, I'll do something a bit different just for fun. So basically, I did the bit, of, bit at the end of Abbey Road called The End, yep. where, I, where I mimed the Beatles. And everybody stood up and clapped for 10 minutes. I thought, well, maybe onto something. Then I I suddenly realized that uh, the, the Beatles are, you know, they were entrepreneurs. They weren't working for anybody. You know, they're they brilliant guys, had a great idea, which is American music. Then they thought, hey, we can earn a couple of pounds doing this. Then, of course, they're quite good, so they can earn a lot of pounds. And then they have huge success. Then it goes horribly wrong. So I used the Beatles as a metaphor for entrepreneurship. And that all led into my becoming entrepreneur in residence for the city because I go around the world putting a, the Beatles in a business context, yeah. um, which is, um, you know, kind of different kind of flow to it. So, and it really resonates with Beatles fans. In fact, actually, I'm coming over to, uh, I can't really say a lot about this because it's a bit under wraps, but there's a great show called Backbeat, which is all about the Beatles in Hamburg. Yes. It's played here in London, and it's played in um, various other places, but it's coming to Los Angeles, and I think I'm going to be doing some press-related stuff in January with some of my friends from Liverpool. I can't say too much. It's going to be really, really special just to support the show, because I was with Carl Sider, who's the uh, producer of that, and another show called Dirty Dancing, which is doing very well here yep. in the UK. So, yep. so, so maybe, maybe a little bit closer to you, maybe in Los Angeles in, in January, so I'll, I'll let you know about that. And if make you come sure you great. Yeah, make mm. sure we can have a beer. Yeah, I'd love to have a beer in the theatre. So you'll meet some very special Beatle-related people. I can't say any more, otherwise I'll be, I'll be in real trouble. But, uh, yeah, I'd say I'd, so that's my main keynote, something about the Beatles. So you can view it at two levels. One, it's a Beatles story, and nobody enjoys the Beatles' music. I play videos and so on. But underneath is how to be an entrepreneur, how the Beatles did it, how they had an elevator pitch, who their mentor was, who their first customer was, kind of following our model. And, uh, yeah, so it's, it's a fun show. I, I spent a session with Ken Scott. Ken oh, Scott, right. And uh, he actually built, he brought um, a whole bunch of individual tracks. And he started, he started off with just the original vocal, this is what it's going to sound like. Yeah, and, yeah. Then, and then built the song over the course of about an hour and 15 minutes, just laying Fantastic. track over track over. It was sensational. Absolutely. Um, now, you're regarded as an expert on Sir Richard Branson. And I am, yes. Uh, that, that kind of came, came about by accident. It all happened, actually, it's to do with Liverpool again, which is the city of Liverpool. We thought, well, let's see if we can win the Global Entrepreneurship Congress, which is a big, big event, which happens once a year. I think you have previously been in Dubai, next year it's in Rio. So, so I helped the bid team win that, you know, obviously yeah. by putting Sir Paul McCartney on the front of the bid document always helped. So then we thought, <laughs> wow, we've got this great conference coming. Kaufman Foundation uh, bring their conference for two days. But day one, you can do anything. So our idea was, let's get the BT Convention Centre, which is a fantastic venue in Liverpool 
principal just by the river there. And wouldn't it be great to get Sir Richard Branson? And then somebody said to me, well, if you can get Sir Richard Branson, then you can interview him on stage. So I set myself the task of doing that, spoke to people in Virgin Group. Yeah. And nine months later, there I was in Liverpool. But in the meantime, um, they realized that you know, I knew how to interview him. So I did an event at his house, which is great. I did uh, the launch of the Branson Centre in Montego Bay in Jamaica, which is fabulous. Launched his book in London. So by the time I got to Liverpool and then another event in London, um, I'd done all the research. I got the videos. I got you know, all the, the background yeah. material. So again, I can put... I can tell the Richard Branson story, you know, with its ups and downs, let's be honest. I mean, sure. quite a few of his companies have gone under. Absolutely. But overall, he's, I I think he's a very, that. very interesting man. And, uh, you know, he does all the good in the world as well. His Virgin Unite uh, Foundation is fantastic in the Branson Center. So it's kind of a Richard Branson story if you can't afford Sir Richard Branson. <laughs> now, is his... Um I was, my next question was going to be, is his success rate in business as good as the image suggests? And I know he's had 247 companies or something, and oh, yeah. most of them are gone broke. And I've travelled on Virgin Rail. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so, and I, it was very late the day I was travelling on it, but then that applies to every sure. railway in the world. But um, So, is there, a, is there a big difference between the Richard Branson true success story and the image that is pumped out so very carefully day by day? Well, obviously the image is that he's a great entrepreneur, which he certainly is. And of course, part of that is you try stuff and some stuff doesn't work. I mean, the first time I interviewed him, I actually didn't discuss it with him. I was having a great interview. I said, but hang on, Sir Richard, you know, not all your your businesses have been a success. Talk about one that failed and, and why. And he gave me a bit of an old-fashioned look. But then he went into a great story about Virgin Cola, about how he thought it was the best cola in the world. Everybody seemed to like it, but then Coca-Cola legitimately took him out of the market by discounting in supermarkets. And then he I... can tell the story of um, you know Virgin Airways, where he was able to fight back because he had a better quality product. He had customer loyalty. Yeah. The, the, the thing about him is it's very much gut feel. I mean, he hasn't invented anything. That's the thing that people kind of forget. He didn't invent the airline or the cola or whatever it is he's doing. He just makes, he's going to make it better or provide specifically better customer experience. Now, whether he has on on individual occasions is different, but that's what he sets out to do. Yeah. And he's just, you know, he's bought bits of a bank here in the UK. He's going to have, he's called Virgin Money. He's not even called a bank. He thinks the banks are discredited. He's going to do banks a better way. He may or may not succeed. And sometimes he has to just say to everybody, look, it's not working. Let's shut it down. Sure. Well done for trying, but his the perception is he's willing to try stuff, and crucially, he's the people's friend. Now, not everybody gets him, but those who do, who like him, who like like you know what he does and what no, he stands for, yeah. you get the customer loyalty. So, if your Virgin train is half an hour late, you forgive Richard, whereas another train operator you might not. Yeah, the Virgin um, Virgin Cola was pretty brave because I was actually a consultant to Coke at the time that ah. uh, that Sainsbury's took um, Coke off the shelves because Coke had had been smart with the um, with the football teams oh, and yeah. had taken the money from the the local clubs and stuck it into um, into the FA mm-hmm. and uh, I was on a plane. Coke sent me on a plane to get to um, to get to England and to get virgin cola off the shelves no matter what yeah, and, yeah. Um, and so you know he, he he was pushing it uphill there because um uh, coke's got so much muscle and and they can just lean on everybody uh, we we constantly talk about um mentoring and we mm-hmm. and we talk about it all the time in this program we discussed it earlier mm-hmm. At what stage of a business do you think is mentoring the most important? 
Well, obviously, right at the beginning, because, yep. you know, you're, you're typically young, you haven't got any experience, and here's somebody sitting in front of you saying, look, here's what you do, A, B, C, D, E. Yeah. Um, but I'm very um, conscious that, you know, older people, people, I get mentored myself all the time, especially for stuff like uh, speaking, which is what I do for a living. I mean, I'm a member of the Professional Speakers Association here, yeah. uh, you know, it's similar to the NSA in America. Sure. And uh, I really enjoy it when fellow fellows of the Professional Speakers Association see me speak and say, Mike, you were rubbish. Of course, everybody else is applauding. That's the kind of mentoring you need when you think you're good at something and you're getting complacent or whatever. Um, so I'm, I'm huge on mentoring and I get mentored all the time now, usually by people younger than me who are experts in particular areas. So if it's an area of speaking, it could be how to write gags or how to perform comedy or improvisation or, or we were just talking about our mutual friend John Briggs who's a you know fantastic guy he's a voiceover artist it's, it's it all is. about speaking clearly you know I'll get tips from him every single day and that's what I call mentoring yeah well I I was um, I've been speaking for more years than I care to remember and uh, I had a meeting with my agent um, probably about three months ago and they said okay it's rubbish. You've got to mm -hmm. change the look of everything. You've got to change yep. the way you sound. You've got to change the way you look. And mm -hmm. I was I was devastated. You know, they said, you know, your old hat. You know, mm -hmm. people have been seeing this stuff for whatever amount of time. Total total um, revamp if you want to if you want to continue working. And um, you know, so you need that. Absolutely. In, I mean, it's, a, it's much harder to change, actually, than <laughs> <laughs> than you think. But uh, nevertheless, so. What about uh, financing startups? Do you have anything to do with trying to help startups get funding, or do you talk to some of your peers to to see if you can pass the hat around? Do you do any of that sort of? Well, I try to keep out of that because I do so much mentoring, and I like to keep the mentoring separate, so people yeah. aren't. You know, I'm not looking at them thinking, you know, Mike thinks to invest. Obviously, I've got a really, really big network of the kind of people who like to invest in things, sure. especially angel investors. And of course, yeah, they really appreciate for me saying, you know, I've done a bit of mentoring. And of course, my mentoring really focuses around: Do I think they can sell anything? So if I think, yeah, actually, or well, friend of mine, I said, buy one of those. See what you think. Yeah. Um, so I do a bit of mentoring in that respect. But I always say to entrepreneurs that. Um, a lot of people think, well, I've got to get funding before I get started. Now, this is not true, especially of a service. I mean, the company that I co-founded back in 84, on the first morning, I sold a course we hadn't written yet to somebody who liked us, got mm. the money up front, and then hoped for the best at the course kind of thing. Yeah. And R Richard Branson does that all the time. If you've got a service, you should be able to get some of the money up front. And, you yeah. should be, and the best way of funding a business, of course, is revenue. If you can get yeah. revenue, keep the revenue coming in, you know, you don't have to go to the banks, you don't have to go to the investors. And I have to say, when I was dealing with venture capitalists in, in those days, you know, it really wasn't a very pleasant experience for, for a lot of reasons. That's a whole different interview. No, so it's not, yeah. The, the dream idea is that, yeah, sure, there, there are always people that know people who think I might be interested in investing. And I always yeah. say to angel investors, look, this is money you're going to lose. So assume you're going to lose it, then you won't be disappointed. You'll have fun, you'll do some good, maybe, if it's a social enterprise. So assume you're going to lose it, if you get something... You know that's an that's an advantage. So it's not money you care about because with venture capitalists they can be pretty brutal about getting their money back. True. So so you know if you can fund it on revenue, that's the absolute best thing. Then you're not beholden to anybody. But plus, if you are going for funding, the best argument you can say to a potential funder is, "I've got a great product or service, and here's one of my customers 
who not only has actually put their hand in their pocket, you know, when I was nobody. And paid for it, yeah. And paid for it. And they're saying, I'll tell you what, if you put, you know, half a million dollars into that company, I'll buy another 100,000 kind of thing, because I'm a bit worried they can cope with this big order. So if you put some money in, yeah, I've got an order waiting. Of course, there's A, B, C, D, E they've got to do, and you know, there's always conditions and this, that, and the other. But the strongest argument is your customer's argument saying, yeah, do you know what? There's a lot of other people do what they do. I like them, and I buy from them because they give me the quality, the sport, the service, the whatever it is that, that, that makes them different and special. Hmm. But one of the things that I try to impress on um, uh, entrepreneurs is that there's one really simple reason why 100% of failures happen. Mm-hmm. That's because they don't get enough revenue. Yep. I mean, it's really simple. You can. You, there's a hundred other reasons, but the main reason is they're not getting in enough revenue to build yep. their business. And so, and, and you know, I was marketing director for Kerry Packer, and one of the things we used to have to do every day is sit there and say, um, what did I do today that mm-hmm. made the company money? So at the end yep. of the day, six o'clock at night, what did I do today that made... And you sit there and you think, gee, I got in at 7.30 and I've worked my butt off all day and I've been as busy as hell. Now, what did I do that actually made the company money? Well, um... Yeah. Uh, gee, I'm not really sure. <laughs> and there's so much of that these days, you know, with with technology the way it is and the instant gratification that everybody's seeking. Um, there's too little focus on actually making a buck Absolutely. No, th- th- those are very wise words, and I, I find myself saying that to people. You've got to ask for money, and again, a lot of entrepreneurs think, well, if I build a great website, everybody will come to my website and pay money. Well, they yeah. might. I hope so. I really hope so. But you've got to get out there and talk to people and sell. So nothing beats having somebody, a bit like yourself or myself, who's used to going to talking to people saying, hey, why don't you try this out and, you know, give me some money. You, you need a, a salesperson on the case. Yeah, I think it's really difficult initially. I, I remember, you know, I'm not shy about asking for money now and I'm not shy about asking for money up front and I'm not mm-hmm. shy about asking for a good lump of money. But sure. um, when you first start, you know, you're very hesitant about asking for money. You, sure. You underprice your value because mm-hmm. you desperately want to get the money in. And mm-hmm. so I think that's where a mentor can be an enormous help. Well, absolutely right, because I would say... Um the first sale is the hardest. After that, it gets easier because um, yep. you've got a reference customer. You say, "Well, look, you know, check out what sales sure. they've bought my stuff." So I always say, "Sell to your friends first because I mean, friends is a broad term. It could be your good friends, or it's a sure. star. Yeah, but, no, I understand. But people, yeah. people who knew you from an old company, and you're basically saying, "Look, Bob, I've got this thing. You know, I should probably charge people twenty pounds for it. You know, I'll give it to you for ten, uh, but I want your honest answer because if it's rubbish, I need to know quickly because you're my mate." And you're thinking, "Yeah, all right, I'll give you a chance." And then you say, "Okay, right. So you got that for ten, ten pounds or ten dollars." Yeah, be honest. On a scale of one to ten, one is I want my money back. Ten is I want to buy a hundred thousand. Now, yeah. everybody else, I'll charge more money for. Actually, what do you think I ought to charge other people? You'll always get a deal, but of course, you'll be my reference customer, so I can say, look, I've got a great whatever it is widget. Check with my friend Bob. He bought one, and then yeah. I'll, I'll go. I'll get the drinks in. I'll come back with an order form if you're happy. So, sell to your friends first, and sell locally. You know, local is good. You know. Could be somebody doing brilliant, you know, sure. whatever it is, up in Aberdeen or where it is, miles away. But you're just around the corner. That's another good, good thing yeah, to say. I think that's and, and of course, services are easier to sell than products early, early on. Now, let me spend an hour looking at that for you. Let me spend a day working on that for you, rather than I'll have a finished product for you. Well, I hope it's finished in, in six weeks' time. There's investment. It might not work. So, so even if you've got the greatest widget in the world, you can sell a bit of widget consultancy first, or let me understand your widget needs or study your widget, see why they're not working so well. There's a little bit of services you can do just to get some scores on the boards. 
And I agree. Mike, thank you very much for joining me on the Bob Pritchard Show. Uh, I really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule. I know how frenetic you are. A hundred speeches a year. Whee! Um, now, if you'd like to... And I look, make sure you call me when you come to Los Angeles. I'll, I will definitely be in touch about that because... Uh, where about you physically based, Bob? I'm in Los Angeles. Oh, perfect. Well, in which case, I'm definitely, I'm getting you to whatever it is I can't talk about because it's a little bit secret. But you will, okay. if, you're, if you're a Beatles fan... You will like. I mean, the show itself is fabulous. So I'll definitely get you some good seats for that. And now I've been in. I've been, I've been in, living in Los Angeles for twenty five years. I still sound like an Australian, don't I? Uh, yeah, well, that's what I was wondering. You're obviously in the Australian quarter of Los Angeles. <laughs> I, I, well, I don't know. I just you can't teach an old dog new tricks. I think. There now, we go. If, if you'd like to find out more about Mike Southern or book him for your next presentation, you can contact him at Mike. Southern, S-O-U-T-H-O-N dot com. That's M-I-K-E, Mike. Southern, S-O-U-T-H-O-N dot com. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Absolutely No Bullshit Business Radio Show. We're on Voice America Business Channel, and this is the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs this week. As we usually do, we're broadcasting from Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles in the heart of Silicon Beach. This is an unusual thing to say, but Uber and Lyft are actually leading to the slashing of healthcare costs. And instead of lights and sirens, healthcare transportation is increasingly featuring Lyft and Uber. And that's a good thing for nearly everybody involved. In 2016, Lyft signed an agreement with Caremore to begin providing non-emergency medical transportation to its patients. And so far, the move has saved Caremore more than $1 million. What's more, it's produced 30% shorter wait times and patient satisfaction exceeding 80%. These efficiencies lead to better outcomes for patients who can more reliably receive routine medical care and stay out of, patient, out of emergency rooms. Doctors can more easily manage patients' chronic conditions and it produces cost savings for the broader medical system as managing chronic disease is substantially cheaper than repeated visits to the ER. Now, transport problems are estimated to cause about 3.6 million Americans to forego or delay non-emergency health care every year. Patients with the highest burden of chronic disease typically have the greatest transportation issues. Delays in treatment can cause chronic diseases to destabilise and progress, resulting in suboptimal outcomes and excessive use of resources. 
using Lyft and Uber both improve the service and reduce cost at the same time. This has led to 95% of patients arriving at their appointments on time, saving participating health plans and providers up to 50% on rides. That's pretty good. That's really good. In April, a non-emergency medical transportation company called Circulation signed an agreement with Uber to expand its services to 700 facilities across 25 states. In particular, the company noted only 8% of its patients reported no-shows with Uber, compared with up to 50% of no-shows in the industry at large, traditionally run by taxis. Patients only have to wait between five and seven minutes for a lift ride that's ordered on the same day, and ordering same-day taxi rides aren't anywhere near as fast. Additionally, if a patient isn't picked up or a driver is late, that information is passed along to the providers. Camore Health System, an Anthem subsidiary that partnered with Lyft last May through its provider National Med Trans, has been saving both money and patients' time. Wait times decreased by 30%, an average per ride cost reduced by 32.4%, and the company books about 18,000 rides a day across the eight states it's operates. That's 18,000 rides a day. No wonder Uber and Lyft have grown so quickly. The federal government could also see significant cost savings as Medicare and Medicaid both pitch in to cover non-emergency medical transportation and that costs the government around $3 billion a year. That's $3,000 million a year. So Lyft and Uber is one of those rare innovations where you can save plenty of time, reduce cost, and improve the service all at the same time. So it makes you wonder, will healthcare be any different in the next century? No, it probably won't. But if you call right now, you might be able to get an appointment by then. <laughs> now some more good medical news. Having a drink might actually help you live longer. Now, heavy drinking can contribute to disease and early death, which is not so good news. But a new study in the Journal of the American College of Cardiology offers some of the best news yet for people who enjoy a daily drink. Light to moderate alcohol use is associated with a reduced risk of death compared with no alcohol consumption at all. This is a pretty big study. More than 333,000 people were surveyed about their alcohol consumption and lifestyle habits and tracked for eight years. Light and moderate drinkers. Now, moderate drinker is 14 or fewer drinks per week for men and seven or fewer drinks a week for women. And that group, those groups were about 20% less likely to die from any cause during the study's follow-up period. 
compared to those who have never consumed alcohol. Now, they're also about 25% less likely to to die from cardiovascular disease. These protective effects were more pronounced on women, on white participants, middle-aged, older people, and non-smokers. More drinking, though. So if you sat there and said, geez, 14 drinks a week will um, help me getting cardio, stop me getting cardiovascular disease, I'll have 20 drinks a week. Well, it doesn't quite work that way. People who consumed more than 14 drinks a week for men and seven drinks a week for women were 11% more likely to die of any cause and 27% more likely to die of cancer compared to people who don't drink. People who binge drink at least once a week, defined as having five or more drinks in any one day, were also at increased risk of dying especially from cancer. Now, in this analysis, researchers took rigorous rigorous statistical approaches to address those issues. For one, they compared current drinkers to lifetime abstainers rather than just people who used to imbibe but have since stopped. They also adjusted for demographic lifestyle and health variables. Yet the researchers saw a clear J-shaped curve for the association between alcohol consumption and mortality. Researchers from the Mediterranean Neurological Institute wrote that the new findings supported the conclusion that the J-shaped relationship between alcohol consumption and mortality risk cannot be dismissed and should guide the formulation of public policies. Women were advised to limit alcohol to very low levels because it's been linked to increased breast cancer risk. While younger adults may not see substantial health benefits from moderate drinking, for most older persons, the overall benefit of light drinking, especially the reduced cardiovascular risk, clearly outweigh possible possible cancer risk. Overall, The research supports previous findings that light to moderate drinking might be protective, especially for cardiovascular disease, but heavy or binge drinking has very serious health consequences, including death. And that's a fairly final um, analysis, isn't it? So if you binge drink or drink heavily, most probably outcomes death. And a balance between beneficial and detrimental effects of alcohol consumption on health should be considered, but the reduction of harmful or high consumption of alcohol remains necessary and essential. I asked before whether you had whether you were, were receiving my daily newsletter. It's a business newsletter. It should take you 30, cents, 30 seconds to read. It's absolutely free. It uh, covers every possible aspect of business today, from customer service to 
all various aspects of business to new entrepreneurs, how they succeeded, what they did, um, new developments, new apps, new technology. It's very interesting and something that you should definitely get a hold of every day, particularly since it's for free. You know, there's a lot of companies, 1.7 million of them go out every day, which is a lot. And there's a lot of companies, for example, a company in London, a health company, that uh, every time they get one that relates directly or indirectly to the health business in any way, uh, sends it out, forwards it on to all of their employees, and there's about four or 500 of them. So um, it means that your employees get educated a little bit more. And uh, it's independent information, so you don't have to justify it or verify it. Now, this has been the 303rd broadcast of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, and I'd like to thank you and all of our listeners for your tremendous support over the support over the last six years. It's been fantastic. I'm not going anywhere, so we'll see you for the next couple of years. But I want to th- also thank all the unbelievable members of Metal, which is in media entertainment technology alpha leaders which is a group in la that is just unbelievable and they've always been there for me and have provided over 100 interviews with the most prominent entrepreneurs in the country now remember if you're not living on the edge you're taking up too much space it's much easier and it is a hell of a lot more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary You know, it's better to aim for the stars and miss than it is to aim for the gutter and succeed. And, you know, if you're always trying to be normal, you'll never know how amazing you can be by being abnormal. I'd hate to think of myself as normal or average. So I hope you have a sensational week and I hope you can join me again next Tuesday. In the meanwhile, continue to be successful because the alternative really sucks. This is Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.